the manor sits, suspended between the resting and the restless. You are on the borderline, somewhere in between consciousness and the place where fear dwells in the depths of our minds, pulling us deep into the nightmarish corners of sleep. I'm dreaming, you tell yourself. None of this is real. Even so, the dream clings to you. Dark castle walls near ruin, older than the forests that surround you. And that voice, its lull is a river, and like the current, it pulls you forward. Mesmerized, you cannot help but obey. Come in. Come in, child. You are welcome here. Enter my home and brighten this dark place. You enter the castle and it is a vision frozen in time. Torches burn low on the walls, lighting up the golden tapestries that decorate the chamber. Moth-eaten curtains partially shield the view beyond the castle walls, scattering patches of moonlight across the floor. He waits with open arms just a few feet from where you stand. He is beautiful and unnatural, much too pale to be a normal man. There is no rise and fall of his chest to prove he is living, no flush of life left beneath his skin. He beckons you closer and you obey. It is as if your body is not your own. It is his now and he knows it. Up close, he is even more unnerving. Raven-haired, with eyes like fire, he watches you and grins. The sight makes your blood run cold, but you do not shy away from him. Come, come to me, sweet girl. He offers you a hand and you take it. Good, very good, he croons. Just a little closer. He pulls you in an embrace as gentle as a lover's. He smells of smoke, of pine, and blood. The metallic scent sends every fiber in your being into a panic. He reeks of iron, so much so you can almost taste it yourself. You scream, but no sound leaves your lips. You are frozen. Your bones beg you to run. Your muscles scream in desperation. But it is as if you are made of lead. He pulls you to him. Close. So very close. The only pulse between you is your own. It races. He brushes your hair aside and pulls your neck towards him. You are completely immobilized now, and you know you are doomed. Don't fret, my darling. I need but a taste. Teeth sink deep into your flesh, and this time you do scream. You scream so loud you...
Wake up. You sit up in bed and touch your neck. To your relief, you draw your hand away to find there is no blood. Catching your breath, you scan your surroundings. You're still in the manor, cozy and tucked away in your bedroom. Lying back down beneath your quilt, you sigh. It was just a dream. Just a horrible dream. Relief is setting over you when you hear a tap, tap, tap at your window. You do not want to look. It is the tree branches against the window. It's only branches tapping the glass. It was an awfully windy evening. It was even supposed to storm. You close your eyes and pull the covers around you. If you can just fall back asleep, then everything will be all right. It's nearly morning now. Just a few more hours and you will laugh about this over breakfast. But the tapping turns to an incessant scratching, like some hungry beast pawing at your window. You hold your breath, and despite your own wishes, you turn towards the window pane. He is there waiting behind the glass, the beautiful monster from your dream. He beckons you to open the window latch, to let him in, but you shake your head. Get away from here! Get away from me, monster! You cry out. He only smiles, and in that moment all beauty fades from his face. Now you see him for what he is, shriveled, Leathery skin is stretched over a skull with teeth like daggers resting in his jaw. He looks like a mummy brought back from the brink of death. His silvered hair clings to his bare shoulders as the rain beats down around him. There is nothing left of the man in your nightmares, but for his eyes. The glowing eyes that burn like the sun you know they will never see. You want to scream but all you can manage to do is mouth the word, leave. The monster does not like this and ceases scratching out the window like some withered beast. You take some small comfort in knowing that you had secured the window before bed. It was locked from the inside and no one, not even that thing, can enter unless you let it in. But he is smiling at you now, fangs drawn, hungry, ready. His elongated hand smashes through the glass and very carefully undoes the latch from the inside, watching you all the while. This is no longer a dream. You know that now, though you pray it is. But just like your nightmares, you cannot move, cannot even make a sound. Not because you are under the creature's influence. Pure, undeniable fear has claimed your body. It happens in seconds. He lunges forward. He is on you now, holding you in that embrace once more, but with all gentleness forgotten. He snaps your neck to the side and his fangs dig deep into your skin. 
this time, you make yourself scream. You scream with all the strength left in you. Strength that will no longer be yours in just a few moments. It will be over soon. Very soon, child. A voice in your head whispers. You know it is the monster's voice. And you know he is right. It will all be over soon. You will be over very soon. Wake up, you beg yourself. Please, wake up. Greetings from the Shadow World, and welcome to Humble Hauntings, where ghost enthusiasts and lovers of the unknown can pull up a seat and make themselves at home. I am your host, MJ McAdams, part-time shadow person, full-time supernatural seeker, and today we are walking in the shadows with possibly the most famous creature of the night, the vampire. There are such beings as vampires. Some of us have evidence that they exist. Even had we not the proof of our own unhappy experience, the teachings and records of the past give proof enough for sane peoples. This quote from Bram Stoker's Dracula echoes true in many cultures where tales of vampiric entities are regarded as anything but fiction. Vampires have been a constant presence in pop culture. The story of Dracula still inspires retellings to this very day whether it's shows like True Blood or Buffy, or even the classic video games such as Castlevania. These bloodsuckers are immortal in every form of entertainment, and they've made it very clear. They aren't going anywhere anytime soon. History is proof of this, in fact, for it seems that as long as people have been around to tell stories, they've always had a tale to tell of the undead creatures of the night. Let's start with the definition of a vampire. The vampire is an immortal being that survives off living blood, preferably human blood. They are the revenant, the living dead, a blood-sucking entity of the supernatural realm. Vampirologist Montague Summer describes them as follows. The vampire has a body, and it is his own body. He is neither dead nor alive but living in death, the androgyny in the phantom world, a pariah among friends. The details surrounding vampires differ depending on where you go. Vampires are said to have many powers. These powers include, but are not limited to, heightened senses, great strength, the ability to fly, and to hypnotize their prey through mind control. These agile and intelligent creatures were said to be able to shapeshift and read the minds of their victims. They were immortal and possessed the ability to turn others immortal as well. But immortal is not invulnerable. It is said that there were certain methods to ward off vampires or even kill them. Silver bullets, which are more associated with werewolves nowadays, a wooden stake through the heart 
and the decapitation and burning of a vampire's body were known to be the typical ways to end these predators. These methods were usually carried out by vampire hunters, men or women with the experience necessary to take down such a being. In Romani lore, there was such people known as vampires, the half-human sons of vampires, who were born with supernatural abilities, including heightened senses. These men possessed not only the ability to seek out and discover vampires, but to destroy them. In certain folklore, it was believed that anyone could stop a vampire if they knew what to look for. Butterflies were often a symbol for the soul, be it in the art of the ancient Greeks or the legends of Japan. It was said that vampires had the ability to flee if their body was brought to harm in the guise of a butterfly. If the butterfly was caught and burned before it could escape, the vampire would be destroyed. Other legends state that vampires kept their soul in a death head moth, and if such a moth was caught and nailed to the wall, the vampire would become trapped and rendered harmless. Many everyday items could be used to ward off vampires as well. Thorns, lemon, and the traditional garlic to name a few. Religious objects have shaped many of the vampiric protection beliefs we have today. Holy water, praying, and crosses were all believed to protect potential victims from coming to any harm. In fact, many stories of vampires tie into religion, starting with the vampiric demoness herself, Lilith. Lilith, in Hebrew lore, was the first wife of Adam that was banished from Eden when she refused to submit to him. In the Red Sea where she dwelled, she took many lovers and gave birth to demonic offspring. Three angels were sent to her with God's offer of a truce. She would have vampiric power over babies and children, as long as she did not hurt any child with an amulet bearing the name of the three angels sent to her. In the Christian tradition, it was believed that vampires were the descendants of Judas Iscariot, cursed by his ultimate sin, the betrayal of Jesus Christ. It was said that in areas of Romania, there was a whole clan of vampires known as the children of Judas, who all bore the red of his hair. They would drain the blood of their victims with one fatal bite, leaving three X's, the Roman numeral for 30. It is said that this represented the 30 pieces of silver paid to Judas for betraying Jesus. But vampire lore wasn't always strictly religious. In many cultures, it was the result of a tragic death or improper burial of a loved one. It was believed that tragedies such as suicide, death in childbirth, and other traumatic deaths made it impossible for a spirit to pass on peacefully. From their untimely end, they were birthed into a new being, an undead predator of the night. We see examples of this all over the world. The Chang Shi of Chinese lore, for example, was a vampiric creature created through the violent death of a human. The main causes that brought these creatures into existence were suicide, death by hanging, drowning, 
or any death that was deemed violent in nature. Once joining the undead, the Changshi would rise at night to feed on the living. But unlike traditional European vampires, the Changshi did not drink blood. Instead, they stole the breath of the living. The Sivatatyo, or Aztec vampire, was more traditional in the sense that they did drink blood, but their bloodthirsty ways were brought upon infants and children. It was believed that the Sivatatyo were the spirits of women who died in childbirth. They were the equivalent of male warriors who died violently on the battlefield. For an Aztec culture, childbirth was the equivalent to battle. It was believed that a child was a gift sent from the gods, and women had to fight to bring them into the world. If they were victorious, the child was their reward. But if they failed, they would be transformed into the Sivatatio, doomed to roam the earth, hunting down the cause of their demise. Children. Certain precautions were taken after a woman had passed away in childbirth to ensure her body remained undisturbed. For it was believed in death, her body parts held magical powers which were sought after by male warriors for relics used in battle. The Sivatatio is described as pale and hideous, their shriveled bodies clothed only in tattered gowns. It was said that they could even mate with living males to produce vampires much like themselves. The Lemuris, a Roman mythology, were vampiric spirits of the dead, thought to be the result of improper burial of the deceased. The lack of funeral rites performed by the living could also cause this creature to rise from the grave. It was said that to die with no living relatives could bring forth a terrible curse as well, and made you likely to become a Lemuris in death. People who committed atrocities in life or those who were murdered or executed were also prime candidates for becoming this vampiric shade in the afterlife. Certain methods were used to prevent its attacks, such as burning black beans around its tomb or banging on the drums as the deceased were buried. Nowadays, when we think of vampires, we think of pale and beautiful men and women with flowing hair adorned in Victorian garb. We have romanticized them to the point where they are no longer the fearful beings of legend, but objects of desire and mystery. I, being a shadow person myself, am very pro-supernatural being. But for today, let's dive into the traditional vampiric lore from a time when such beings struck fear in the hearts of men. Let us now journey to Victorian England, where an ancient house rested on the hunting grounds of an obscure predator, awaiting his next victim. Croglin Grange was located in Cumberland, England and though no official records can be found to prove the building's existence, it is often said to be an example of true vampirism. 
The story has even inspired more modern-day tales, such as Marvin Schwartz's retelling, titled The Window, which can be found in more scary stories to tell in the dark. The incident in question was recorded by a clergyman known as Dr. August Hare in his autobiography, Memorials of a Quiet Life. The house itself was a very old family estate belonging to the Fisher family, who rented it out to three siblings, Amelia, Edward, and Michael Cranswell. They soon settled into their new home and lived happily amongst their neighbors. Everything was going as well as it could be, and the Cranswell family were happy with the move to Cumberland. That is, until a particularly hot summer's night. Amelia Cranswell was settling in for the night, and to escape the uncomfortable heat spell that rested over the area, she chose to lay by the window to keep cool. Closing the window but not the shutters, Amelia laid down and tried in vain to get some rest. But sleep did not find her, so instead she gazed out the window into the thick summer's night. That's when she saw it. Something in the distance moved stealthily towards the house. Its movements were quick and calculated. The dark figure came closer and closer to Croglin Grange, quickly moving around the home without making a sound. Amelia shot up from her bed and ran for the bedroom door. She had time to warn the others. At least, she thought she did. That was when she heard it. The scratch, scratch, scratch upon her window. Amelia turned to find a brown, shriveled face with eyes like fire glaring at her from the glass. She moved away from the door and sat at the foot of her bed, watching the creature as it ran its claw-like hands over the window. Though frightened, Amelia took some small comfort in knowing that her window was secured, locked from the inside. Try as it might, the monster would not make it into the room. As if reading her thoughts, the creature ceased its horrid scraping at the glass. She almost sighed in relief as she watched it falter. And then another sound arose from the window. A pecking sort of noise that instantly filled Amelia with dread. The creature had begun to pick the lead from the window pane, and with one resounding crash, the sheet of glass fell inside the room shattering like the last of Amelia's hope. It happened so quickly that Amelia didn't have time to react. She was frozen in fear, her predator stronger and faster than any human could hope to be. In moments, she was in his clutches. One hand wrapped its claws around her hair, pulling her head over the side of the bed. With her neck exposed, the monster lifted its mouth and sank its teeth deep into her skin ripping into the flesh with ease. As the creature began to drain her blood, Amelia finally managed to scream. Her brothers heard her cry and rushed to the bedroom, where they too came face to face with the creature. At their approach, it let go of Amelia, leaping for the window and across the lawn. Michael stayed behind with Amelia while Edward ran to catch the beast. But despite his best efforts, the creature got away swallowed up by the night in which it thrived.
The next day, the local doctor tended to Amelia's wounds. She would heal just fine, but the mental scars left from her encounter with the vampire would need healing of their own. The doctor suggested a holiday. He told the three siblings a change of scenery would do all of them some good. They took his advice and traveled to Switzerland for an extended stay. After the three had time to recover from the ordeal, they returned home to Crogland Grange, convinced that Amelia had been a victim of an escaped convict gone mad. After all, there was no such thing as vampires. They soon settled back into their home and went about life as they did before. That is, until the following spring. The creature returned for Amelia in the dead of night, once again clawing at her window. But her brothers were ready for it this time. Amelia called out to them, her need for survival outweighing her fear. Edward and Michael burst into the room, guns at the ready, and as the creature broke through the glass, Michael aimed his pistol and fired at the creature. The bullet hit the vampire in its leg. It reeled back into the night screeching in agony. Wounded, it attempted to flee, but this time, the brothers were able to keep up with the monster. They followed it all the way back to the local cemetery, where the vampire disappeared into a sealed vault. The next morning, the brothers gathered their neighbors as witnesses and opened the vault. What they found was a scene pulled from nightmares. The vault was littered with desecrated coffins. Torn and mangled corpses littered the stone floor. Everywhere they stepped, there were shards of bone and bits of rotten flesh. Only one coffin, at the very center of the vault, remained undisturbed. Together, the brothers lifted the lid to reveal a brown, mummified body, bearing the face of the creature that had plagued them the gunshot wound, visible in its right leg. So, they did the only thing they could think to do with the vampire's body. They burned it. Today, the legend of Crogland Grange is still very much part of local folklore. Though there has always been skeptics, it was found that Crogland Low Hall was the true house from the local tale and for many years there was a chapel located by the house. A chapel whose cemetery vaults have now been lost to time, much like the vampire who once rested on its grounds. Whether the tale holds any truth is up for you to decide. But one has to wonder, with so many tales of vampires across the history of humanity, can we really say the undead are the stuff of fiction? Or are there really things that go bump in the night? Thank you for joining me today at Humble Hauntings. Stick around after this word from our sponsors to hear the tale of the vampire cat who almost brought doom upon a young prince, blinded by love. Japanese folklore is full of vampiric creatures, such as the Katsune, 
a fox demon that assumes the form of a beautiful young woman in order to lure victims to their doom. Today, however, I want to focus on the vampire cat of Nabeshima. The tale begins with a prince and his beautiful concubine, Otoyo. Prince Nabeshima was enamored by Otoyo and showered her with his affections, spending any free time he had with the pretty young woman. Out of all his ladies, Otoyo was his favorite, and no one could rival her charm and beauty. Every day they would meet in the royal garden and stroll among the flowers until the golden sun was replaced by the violet curtains of sunset. But one evening, as they enjoyed their daily walk, they failed to notice a large and demonic-looking cat following them at a distance. That night, the vampire cat appeared to Otoyo in her bedroom and brutally murdered her, biting into her neck and snapping it with the shake of its head. After burying her body, the vampire assumed her form and went to the prince to feed off his life force. As the days passed, the prince grew deathly ill, but no one knew why. He became pale, his eyes dull and hair limp and graying. Royal physicians attended to him and tried every medicine they possessed to cure him, but anything they gave him just made him worse. He was dying, and his family and the royal court feared for his life. Guards were stationed in his room at night to watch over the sickly prince, and that is when the vampire was discovered. For the vampire cat was feeding off the prince at night, slowly draining the life from him. The guards caught the false Satoyo in the prince's chamber as she transformed from the beautiful concubine to the demonic vampire. Realizing its mistake, the vampire fled to the hill country, far from the walls of the Nabashima home. With time, the prince recovered, now free from the vampire's grasp. With his health returning to him, Prince Nabashima organized a hunting party of his finest men and journeyed to the hill country. There, they discovered the vampire cat's den and in an act of vengeance, the creature was slaughtered, destroyed so that no one would ever fall victim to its evil ways, ever again. Vampires, the revenants that have bewildered and bewitched us for centuries. These immortal beings continue to be a source of inspiration and fear, bleeding their way into our stories and our minds. There is something addicting about vampiric legends, and they continue to grow and thrive to this very day. Whether you believe in such creatures or not, there is one thing you cannot deny. As long as people are alive to feed their stories, the lore of the vampire, much like the supernatural being itself, will never die. Thank you for joining me today at Humble Hauntings, a place that paranormal enthusiasts can always call home. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe and share with your friends. When it comes to ghostly ventures, the more, the merrier. But until next time, my spookables, remember, home 
is where the haunt is.